The second reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 to 11, and it can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 780. The ear of the Lord's favor. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, good morning, church. Uh, It's nice to see you again this morning. Uh, If we've not met, my name's Pete. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, And in my day job, I work uh, with the university ministry just down the road. Uh, And as John mentioned before, we've got an event coming up soon. Uh, This church is a great prayer for the ministry on campus. And if you'd like to uh, have some fuel for your prayers, we'd love you to join us at that special event in a couple of Saturdays' time. And if you need extra motivation to come along... One motivation to come would be to find out what does our Michelle do with the rest of her time each week. You'll know Michelle works for us half-time here serving us at church. Michelle spends the other half her time down at Deakin doing lots of wonderful service of God on the campus there. So if you'd like to know more about what Michelle does, you can come down and join us on that Saturday. But for now, we're going to continue in this book of Isaiah with another really brilliant part of God's Word. So let's pray and let's hear God speak in His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your wonderful word to us in Isaiah, and particularly for the way you have prepared us for and you point us to the wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, our Heavenly Father, please, this morning, enable us to see him, that we might live for him, 
and rejoice in him together. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, they say that artists uh, speak of a dynamic called visual lethargy. Uh, and it's the way that so often it seems that the more you see something, the less you actually see it. Uh, the less you stand in awe. Uh, the less you watch in wonder. Uh, and so for the artists in the room, if, if there are any uh, in the room, perhaps it's that amazing work of art. Uh, or for the car lovers in the room, perhaps it's that souped up car. Special thanks for John for sending us a photo of his car to use in the sermon this morning. Um, or for the rest of us, perhaps, it's, it's that amazing ocean view. That the first time you saw it, it you know, took your breath away. But the more and more you see it now, the more you fail to see. The more you fail to feel what once you used to feel. When I was studying at university, I happened to live at the beach. And in fact, it was that beach. And one of the places I lived was about 10 stories up overlooking the sea. And it was that sea. And in fact, one of those little white buildings you can see there is one of the buildings I lived in. And I remember when I first moved in, my flatmates and I, we would literally just sit there and watch the view, taking it in. Most Saturday mornings, it was a competition to see who could get the best seat in the house, you know, in our hard uh, student uh, life. <laughs> but as time went on, we just kind of stopped. You know, stopped looking, stopped seeing, stopped feeling what we used to feel. And it wasn't as if the view had changed. It was just the way we saw it. And the reason I raise it this morning is, do you think that also happens when it comes to our seeing of God? Our seeing of Jesus? And all that he's done for us. I remember reading of a man once who read the gospel of Jesus for the very first time and he got to the part where Jesus is killed, nailed to the cross, dies for the sins of, of you and for me. You know what they say the man did? They say he broke down and wept to see this Jesus nailed to the cross. And someone had to tell him, don't cry. This same Jesus who dies also rises again. You know, read on, my friend. There's still more story to come. But see, here's my question. When was the last time we were affected like that? I saw God like that. Jesus like that and all that he's done for us. And what's more, how can we how do we fight away, if you like, our lethargic view and see Jesus as we ought to see? Because it really, really matters, doesn't it? If we're to have the joy in him like we want to have, to obey our God like we know we should, or just to continue in him as we leave this place or come to him, maybe even this morning, we need to see Jesus as he ought to be seen. And the question is, how can we? 
in the answer, or at least a large part of it, I want to suggest is parts of the Bible like this. Parts of the Bible God has given us to open our eyes again, to see from a different angle all that Jesus is and what he's done for us. You see, you remember last week, don't you, in the chapter just before this in Isaiah chapter 60, that God had promised his people his perfect world, you remember? Where all that is wrong would at last be right. Where God himself would come to them and so would the blessings that always do. It's a promise one of my children's Bibles captures this way. One day we will see him. That's how you have to read it when you're reading children's Bibles. One day we'll be with him. One day there'll be nothing but the best days, day after day after day after day. And You see, that was the promise of Isaiah 60, wasn't it? And the promise must have been for them then as it should be for us now. How? You know, how on earth will you do these things? Answer? From Isaiah 61? It's through the mighty Messiah that he will send and the righteous reversal he will bring. The mighty Messiah he will send and the righteous reversal he will bring. See, chapter 61 begins, do you have it open in front of you? Chapter 61 begins by answering the question, how will God do these things? And as it begins, we quickly discover the how is a who. A mighty Messiah God will send, an, an anointed one. Do you see verse 1? After all, that's what the word anointed means, doesn't it? That Messiah means anointed one. Just as Christ means anointed one, Messiah from the Hebrew, Christ from the Greek, both of them mean anointed one, and that's who he is. He's Messiah of God. How does he come? He comes, do you see, empowered by the Spirit. See it, verse 1? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Just like the Davidic king from Isaiah 11, do you remember? And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. That, that servant who'd suffer from Isaiah 42, do you remember? I have put my Spirit upon him, so too here this mighty Messiah comes, empowered by the Spirit of God. And in particular, what is he empowered to do? Well, he's empowered, do you see there, verse 1, to speak. And proclaim God's good news to God's broken world. And I don't know about you, but I have to admit that at first glance, that seemed to me just, just a little anticlimactic. Like getting to the end of, of some great heroic epic series, you know, think J.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or, you know, Lord of the Rings. Or Aslan and Narnia with, with wall-to-wall action and weapons and war and it comes to the end where the battle is won and some guy wanders in and delivers a speech. See, I don't know about you, that just seems to me a, a little anticlimactic. Until it is you realise that it was also by their words 
that that Davidic king was promised to rule. And that suffering servant was promised to save. Isaiah 11 again. Of the Davidic king, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Or in Isaiah 42, in speaking of that servant, he made my words like a sharp-edged sword. We have these sayings, don't we? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or maybe that talk is cheap. The talk is weak. Brothers and sisters, we have to keep reminding ourselves it's never that way when it comes to the talk of God. It's never that way when it comes to the Word of God. These are the words that brought worlds into being. These are the words that bring life to the dead. These are the words this mighty Messiah so powerfully proclaims. And so they must have wondered, mustn't they? Who is this guy? After all, I wonder if you notice, and if you skim through the chapter now, like so many of our modern kind of made-up heroes, who he is remains concealed. Did you notice? You know, like some modern masked avenger. He's never actually named, is he? Until that is, one Saturday morning, 2,000 years ago, our hero took off his mask, made himself known. One Saturday morning, 2,000 years ago, our hero picked up a scroll of Isaiah 61 that we have just read. And reading those very same words, what happened next? From Luke chapter 4, do you remember? And there in verse 20, He, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in me, Jesus says. I am the Messiah sent from God, empowered by his spirit to powerfully proclaim. And as he does, look again in Isaiah 61 at exactly what he does. And if you like, this kind of righteous reversal he comes to bring. At the way he changes worlds and lives. As famous preacher John Piper puts it in this wonderful quote I stumbled on this week, Jesus changes things. And I love this part. He's not boring and he's not predictable. He is full of surprises. Jesus changes things. He turns things around, churches, nations, families, personalities, peoples, enslavements. Jesus changes things. Jesus reverses things. And I wonder, did you see it in our passage today? 
in this passage that Jesus says is all about him. Did you see the language of, of reversal and rebuilding and renewal? Or do you see just the, the insteads there in verse 3? Do you see verse 3? To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Garments of praise instead of despair. It's the language of reversal, do you hear? Or do you see it there in verse 4 as it goes on? Verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Restore the places long devastated. Renew the ruined cities. Or jump down verse 5 and verse 6. Do you see the reversal of roles? The way the then poor captive Israel is promised to be, if you like, brought to the top of the heap. Do you see there verse 5? Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields. Or jump down verse 6. You will feed on the wealth of the nations and in their riches you will boast. You see, the whole chapter is full of reversals. And here's the point. According to Jesus, as he applies these words to himself, this is what he does. And not just physically and nationally in the way it's described here for an Old Testament people who really returned to a ruined city that God really would rebuild for them who really needed physical rescue, which God would soon give to them. But, but even more importantly, spiritually, personally, eternally, to all who trust in him. You see, for the Old Testament people of God, the, the image being remembered here is the, the year of Jubilee from Leviticus 25. The, the, the wonderful Jewish celebration that happened just once, I think every 50 years, and if I've got it right, lasted for a year. I'm pretty sure I'll be corrected at the back door if that's wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And on that year, it was as if everything was returned, if you like, to original factory settings. All debts were cancelled by the commandment of God. All slaves released by the commandment of God. A whole year lived in the shared favor of God and I wonder can you imagine how wonderful that would be if you need some help um, homeowners in the room can you imagine for a moment your bank loan gone car owners in the room car loan gone every debt taken away you see that's the point that's what Jesus does only not with your debt you owe to the law, but even better with the debt you owe to your God. Even that he is able to clear. And as he does it, along with it, your captivity to guilt, your prison of shame, the regret you feel, the despair you know, you see, that's what Jesus came to undo with the powerful words he was sent to proclaim. 
In some ways, it reminds me of this really wonderful story I heard once of Gaylord Camberimi. I don't know if you've heard it. My guess is if you've heard the name, you won't forget the name. Uh, he was former general secretary of the Bible Society in Zimbabwe. Uh, and they say he once offered a man a copy of the New Testament. Uh, but the man wasn't interested, and he assured Camberry he'd only use the pages of the Bible to roll cigarettes. So what did Camberimi do? Well, he said, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you this book if you promise to read every page before you smoke it. He handed over the New Testament, hope for the best. And they say that more than a decade later, Camberini is attending a conference when, to his surprise, the speaker from the podium points him out to the audience. And he says to them, This man doesn't remember me. In obviously African accent. <laughs> um, but I remember him. About 15 years ago, he tried to sell me a copy of the New Testament. When I refused to buy, he gave it to me. Even though I told him I would only use the pages to roll cigarettes. He promised, he made me promise to read the pages before I smoked them. Well, I smoked Matthew. I smoked Mark. I smoked Luke. But when I got to John 3.16, I couldn't smoke no more. <laughs> My life was changed from that moment on. My life was changed. <laughs> A little extra for emphasis from the back of the room. Thank you. My life was changed from that moment on. You see, that's the point. This is what this mighty Messiah does. As many of us know for ourselves. And so let me ask you, do you remember? Do you remember the way that he changed your life? Do you remember the way he set you free? Do you remember the way he even now is rebuilding your ruined soul? Because see, that's what this mighty Messiah does. He changes lives from wrong to right and from shame to joy. Do you see it there, verse 3? They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. And I love that image, don't you? That strong, sturdy, immovable tree that is right and now lives right with God. See, that's what Jesus does for all who trust in him. And so, and so don't give up, God says, in your fight to live for him. As you flee from sin and seek to serve, don't give up, God says. The mighty Messiah is working with you. You see, he changes lives from wrong to right. And he changes lives from shame to joy. Do you see verse 7? Down in verse 7. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, they'll rejoice in their inheritance. And so they'll inherit a double portion in their land. And everlasting joy will be theirs. 
one of the things I've been struck by in my own Bible reading this year is the way that shame and joy are so often opposed. A bit like maybe guilt and innocence or captivity and freedom. You know, to have the ones to lose the other. Uh, to lose the ones to gain the other. And I'm not sure if it's because I'm a sort of uh, individualist kind of Westerner, but, but from guilty to innocent seems very clear to me. Uh, captivity uh, to freedom seems very clear to me, and they certainly are things that Christ does for us. But, but here in Isaiah, as all over the Bible, he also takes our shame away for the things we've done or the things we've said or the things we've thought, those things that keep us up at night, those things we'd love to wash away, that this mighty Messiah does. He takes away our shame. And therefore, he gives us joy. I wonder, do you know it? And as you're reminded of this now, can you feel it again? And why does he do these things to you? Why, why is he even now at work in our life? Well, as verse 8 says, do you see it there? Because of his justice. Because of his faithfulness. Because he's a God who keeps his word. And, and also, did you notice, so that people would see and God would be praised. Uh, jump back to verse 3. Do you see the end of verse 3? For the display of his splendor. Or back down again, end of verse 9. It, all who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. And again, at the very end of the chapter, end of verse 11, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. I was at a 50th birthday party not long ago, and one of the guys there was talking to me about how he became a Christian. And you know what one of the key things in his story was? Can you guess? It was a friend who was different. Who had something, he said, that he didn't have. Lived different, he said, to the way that he lived. And what did that do in the life of my friend? It raised questions. And then brought him to church where he heard this word which caused him to turn his eyes and his life to him. And see, that's what this mighty Messiah does. And that's why this chapter was written. To encourage our godliness, yes. To encourage our joy, yes. But mostly, I think, especially as we read it now in its fulfillment in Christ, to help us fight away our lethargic hearts and to open our eyes once again to all that Jesus is and all he's done for us. You see, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, Of these wonderful words, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it really was and really is. 
and will continue to be for all who trust in him. Let's pray to him now. Let's pray.